0: Time ag writer, a fierce advocate, and a
1: storyteller. He's a boss on the block, an unapologetic patriot, and committed to the success of rural communities. I'm Rachel Gable.
0: And I'm Jason Sanamaso, and this is the Pro Ag Podcast.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Pro Ag Podcast. This is our bonus episode on rural mental health. I wanted to take a second, real quickly. We have two new five star reviews. And I wanted to share those with you. One of them is from California, from Sarah Reed Herman. You might know that name from Reed Cattle Company in Ordway, Colorado. I'm loving the Pro Ag podcast. It gives this Eastern Colorado girl a taste of home, even though I'm a thousand miles away. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Sarah. We are so glad to have you as a listener. Also have one from Sterling, Colorado. Says my new favorite, Ag News, check. Humor, check. Nostalgia, check. Your one-stop listen. Job well done. And that is from Nikki Wernsman. We so appreciate these five-star reviews, and we want to share yours on air. So please, if you haven't already, like and follow and share and hit all the buttons for us. We sure appreciate it. Before we get started, we want to recognize one of our wonderful sponsors, Creative Woodworking. If you're thinking about doing some home renovations, because that is the time of year to be doing it. We know a guy.
0: We know a guy, and he is really good at his job. Adam Rose, Creative Woodworking, provides custom cabinetry and countertops, residential and commercial, from design to fabrication to installation. These are flat-packed cabinetry shipped all over the U.S., so he'll build the cabinets, package them. They're, They're cut and machined. Puts them on a pallet, ships them to You put them together and install them. And he's got customers all over the U.S., uh, customers in Colorado, Nebraska, Missouri, California. And he's also shipped to New York, Florida, Michigan, Minnesota, Washington, and Oregon. Uh, This is Adam Rose with Creative Woodworking. He's married to Camille. They've been married 31 years. They have three grown sons, over 29 years of experience in the cabinet trade, He's owned this shop since 2000. He's a past president of the Cad- Cabinet Makers Association, and he's one of the top PA guys, public address announcers in all of Logan County. He announces all the Sterling's high schools, volleyball, basketball, baseball, and football games. He's uh, got a website that is he's upgrading it, so that'll be out soon, but he can be found on Facebook, www.facebook.com, the Creative Woodworking. And his phone number, if you want to call or text him, is 970-522-6799. Call him or text him, Adam Rose at Creative Woodworking. And he does amazing work. You've looked some of them up on his Facebook page.
1: I have. I have. They are beautiful. And you can tell he is absolutely a a detail-oriented guy because it is perfect it's really beautiful so and Jason did share something share a link to his Facebook on our Facebook page if you haven't liked us or followed us on Facebook do that thank you to Adam Rose and creative woodworking and now on to the show
0: but whatever. I just got a text from a guy that uh, said I absolutely love your podcast I love what you're doing you're doing great stuff um, but call me when you get done I have another point that I think you guys should make about wolves so I'll call him and find out what he's what he's got in mind but I love getting those texts that people are listening and liking. and
1: Yeah, for sure. Did I send you the picture of the wolf that the guy took on the rocks? No. Oh, my God. He was—he took a couple right out of his pickup window. It just. It, it's incredible. I'll send it to you right now. That'll be on the cover of the fence post this week.
0: Holy cow.
1: Yeah. Wow. Isn't that incredible? I mean, I don't like him. But that's an incredible photo.
0: And that's just scary that they're not that scared.
1: Yeah. That was what I thought too. Wow.
0: They are beautiful animals, but we don't need them.
1: Well, they're already here and we're not yeah. um, able to mm-hmm. manage the ones that are already here.
0: Right. So I heard. I did read a deal that some guys in Wyoming shot a couple of them when they came across. Is there any truth to that? No. Okay, I didn't not think that
1: so. I can, Not that I can confirm. Uh, yeah. Jim McGagna, who is the executive director of the Wyoming Stock Growers Association, said in a in an article, I think it was in Cowboy State Daily, I think, that if they come across, they're in the predator zone and they can shoot them on sight. And when I was on Jimmy Lakey earlier this this week, I think it was this week, he was like did the Wyoming guys just say that they'll take care of them when they cross? I'm like it wasn't a threat. Like nobody's waiting at the border with heavy artillery. They just said you can shoot wolves on site in Wyoming. They're not protected in the predator zone. That was what was said. It wasn't a, we're waiting for them. It was just a fact that you So can that's shoot where wolf.
0: that post came from then, probably.
1: Yeah, I, I would I would guess so. And I did hear that there were there was a depredation near Toponis, and CPW said that there were no reported depredations. So I was just excited that they emailed me back. So yeah, yeah
0: again, shopping. I'm
1: winning. I'm winning. <laughs> so we want to remind everybody uh, real quickly about our, our, our mission and our saying, and our um, thing that we keep coming back to with our rural mental health discussion. And that is check your cows, check your crops, check your neighbors. And you know, we tell people so often you need to reach out. You need to reach out when you need help. And I think sometimes we need to flip that on its ear a little bit and say we need to reach out to our neighbors because um, there's a lot of times that that we see we see the storm coming, and and you may pick up on a little something. Maybe it's a herd dispersal. Maybe it's getting things in order with the irrigation contracts. Maybe it's uh, withdrawing, not coming to cattlemen cattlemen's meetings, whatever that is. Uh, maybe you need to have a pickup window to pick up window conversation with those, those neighbors.
0: And it can be just as simple as a, Hey, just checking in to see how you're doing. You doing okay. Text, just people to know that somebody's thinking of them. Somebody, why, why did he just think about me and text me? Because he's thinking about me that a 10 second out of your day is nothing to send a text to somebody that you think might need it.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a very simple, simple thing. And, and there's, you know, we run into folks all the time during our day. It doesn't, it's not going to slow you down any to spend an extra minute visiting with somebody and, and getting some eyeballs on them and making sure that they're, they're doing okay. And, um, you know, we've, we uh, talk a lot about rural mental health and it's, you know, farmers and ranchers are three times more likely to take their own lives than the the general population. And so this is no longer a, a looming threat. Like this isn't down the road, it's here. And farming and ranching, agriculture in general is not going to get any easier anytime soon. So it becomes even more important that we pay attention. You know, I, I wrote a column for something somewhere about reading the bunk at a feed yard because you know I'm come from a cattle feeding family. And every morning we drive around and we check the bunk. We read the bunks. How much feed is there? Are there cattle not at the bunk? How much is left over? Is it completely slicked? What's What's being left? Are they picking through it? And then you can kind of um, plan your management from that point. and we need to read the bunk with each other too. And see, you know, how are they, are they looking particularly disheveled? Did they look tired? Are they withdrawn? Are they not coming to meetings that they normally come to? Are, have they mentioned uh, harming themselves? And, and I do want to mention, I wasn't on the, the conversation because my schedule didn't allow it, but anytime you think somebody might have plans to hurt themselves, you can ask them if they have a plan. And it's not going to make them think about it. It's not going to be like you know I hadn't thought of that before. That's not how a mental health crisis works. So if you're you're visiting with and and you're afraid that they may have plans to take their lives, you can ask them that. And if they say that they do have a plan, then then you need to contact someone who can help them. And I know that uh, Rochelle had some good advice about what to do, and she's one of our guests today, Rochelle Maker and Jared Sonnenberg.
0: Yeah, and and it's, it's amazing how we haven't released this yet, and we're getting people reaching out saying, I can't wait to hear this. It's nice to hear that other people are going through what I'm going through. Um, I've had several people call and, and visit about what they've gone through, and it's just, you know, it's comforting to know there's somebody there to talk to. They can call you or I, Rochelle, Jared. And to have them reach out says a lot about their toughness. And, and we talk a little bit about that. But just the impact that this podcast has had already on the mental health side and we have people reaching out to us is is amazing. And knowing that there's somebody they can reach out to.
1: Absolutely. and And both of us. Um, we've said this before. You can always reach out to either of us if you have mental health concerns, or you need pointed in the right direction, or you just need somebody to talk to. We we both have broad shoulders, and we have shouldered that load, and we both understand uh, profoundly what mental health struggles are all about.
0: Absolutely, and there there is zero judgment from us, guaranteed. Yeah.
1: Yep. Absolutely not. And we will not um, share that with anyone. And uh, if you need help, we'll, we'll point you in the right direction.
0: You bet. So
1: We want you to remember to check your cows, check your crops and check your neighbors. So with that, I will go ahead and introduce Jared Sonnenberg, Rochelle Maker, and our own Jason Santamasso.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we have two very special guests on today. Jared Sonnenberg, owner of Sonnenberg Agency, pastor of Leroy Community Church and chaplain for the Sterling Police Fire Department, EMTs and Logan County Sheriff's Office. And Rochelle Maker, family nurse practitioner, psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, and Northeast Colorado Family Medicine right here in Sterling, Colorado. Welcome guys and thanks for being here.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having us, yeah. So as Jason said, my name is Rochelle Maker. I am a board-certified family nurse practitioner as well as a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. Um, I have been a family nurse practitioner for almost 15 years now and work at Northeast Colorado Family Medicine. And so probably, oh, it's been on my heart for many years to go back and get more education in mental health and probably over the last 10 years, as I've seen um, a significant increase in need for mental health and mental health services, I decided to go back and get more education and go back and get my psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner board certification. And so I now do both in our practice. And so we've integrated mental health into our practice, which I'm really excited about. Most people say, well, what is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner? Well, what it really means is that I can um, do initial intakes, I can do assessing, diagnosing mental health illnesses, um, and then treat, whether that's medication management, whether it's therapy, um, but really what it is, is being able to provide services, being able to provide a safe place for people to come when they are struggling with any kind of mental health issue and just being there to be able to support them and provide them with tools and strategies to help them work through this time in their life.
3: Jared? Yeah, um, just to kind of, I'll tag on to what uh, Rochelle just said. I'm excited kind of after we turn the calendar into 2024, uh, Rochelle and I are going to be able to do some work together mm-hmm. on uh, kind of being people helpers under the Northeast Colorado, Colorado Family Medicine, um, kind of their their group. Uh, in addition to the roles that you mentioned, Jason, I'm also a uh, board certified with the American Association of Christian Counselors as a mental health coaching counselor. So excited to be able to, uh, to work with Rochelle on hopefully uh, being able to offer more uh, mental health support. For, for the wonderful people of Northeast Colorado I think we share the same passion of, of being people helpers and uh, there's a lot of need and not enough resources particularly when it comes to mental health that's right yeah and we're definitely in the rural community and we'll get
0: into that a little bit uh, there, there's not two better people that I can think of to to be doing this and and helping out in the rural community and I, I've listened to several mental health podcasts, and, and I found one called Inside Mental Health Podcast with Gabe Howard and Vince Wales. And Gabe Howard read this analogy, and it, it really hit me. So I'm going to read it, and then we'll talk a little bit about that. When, when cars first came out, they were dangerous. People were dying from them, and the faster they got, the more dangerous they became, and more deaths followed. There were no such thing as safety features on cars. Well, people started realizing that cars were in fact dangerous. People started talking about it and talking about safety features such as seat belts, breakaway windshields back then, airbags now, but not, they didn't have that capability then. Now cars have become safe, but what if people didn't push them to implement safety features? What if they said, sorry, we're not going to do anything about it. If you die in a car crash, it's your own fault. And actually the big three automakers did that at the time they drug their feet. Uh, they didn't want to add it. They didn't want the extra cost until there was a public outcry for them to add the safety features because of all the deaths that were, were happening in car accidents. The point being acknowledging there's a problem is a first step in solving it. There had to be a champion to speak out and that was Ralph Nader. But what if he hadn't pushed for safer vehicles over the years, cars have been much more safe because of the safety features, but the, like I said, the big three denied it at first, and they just allowed people to die unnecessarily because they weren't willing to take the first step. And that kind of ties in with mental health and suicide, not talking about it, blaming the victim, not understanding what we're looking at. And that's why more people die by suicide than car accidents now, because there's more safety features in cars than there is the mental health. Um, why are we having such a hard time in this country implementing safety features for the growing mental health problem? Well, I
2: I guess, Jason, one of the things that I see is um, they really kind of go back to what we call the four A's and that's availability, acceptability, accessibility, and affordability. Um, And so, You know, I think one of the biggest things that we see is there's just not enough resources. And there's, you know, obviously there's always been that stigma that's attached to mental health. When we think that, you know, we can handle it on our own. It's Mm -hmm. anything that's related to the brain. A lot of times it's this mental toughness, you know, just get out there, go do it. You can do it. Suck it up. You got this. Well, sometimes there are things that happen that we can't just do that. And there's a reason for that Um, medically. And a lot of times we don't have a blood test or we don't have a scan that we can see that depression, that anxiety. And so it's getting people to understand like how it affects your brain and how then do we treat that you know, and how do we recognize those signs and being able to reach out for help, but then we need help, but where do we go for that help? Because we don't have those resources. And I think that is really hard as well. Um, And then the affordability part in terms of, well, I have other things that I want to spend my money on and mental health is not one of those things. And I don't ever want that to be something that prevents people from trying to seek help either. You know, mm-hmm. we'll work with you because it is so important that you reach out. What you're feeling is real, you're not alone, and we want to help you. So Jared, what are you your thoughts?
3: I I think the stigma is absolutely real that you talk about. Not only is accessibility, affordability, I mean, those are issues, but um, the stigma is a big one. Mental health is still just misunderstood. If you break your arm, for example, it's it's pretty clear cut what that course of treatment is. And those injuries have been visible for a long time. So people don't think twice about it when you walk around with a cast on. But if you tell somebody, for example, or a lot of people have that fear, well, you know, I need to go talk to my counselor or therapist. A lot of people just don't have that same level of comfort. And this is probably not true for every single situation. But one thing I've learned is that most people pretend to be okay, they don't pretend to be hurting mentally. And, you know, that's one of those stigma things that for a long time, it was just thought that, you know, stress and anxiety, depressive episodes, you know, any, any of those uh, things kind of related to that we could talk about We're kind of thought that, well, maybe this is just made up. People just simply aren't tough enough. And that wasn't the case. Same. People aren't, in my experience, have not really kind of pretended to have depressive episodes mm-hmm. or anxiety, for example. They pretend to be okay. And that's, mm-hmm. that's part of that stigma because we're just, we're still not comfortable talking about it, or at least not as comfortable as we could be. So I think podcasts like this, um, Sim- simply the fact that people with a, a prominent voice are willing to have these conversations hopefully this is the start of kind of opening some of those doors and avenues of conversation because I think that's how we begin to to destigmatize it and the more we destigmatize it I think then it brings more people into the fold so maybe that increase and just kind of that the the economic side of things the more availability you have then the accessibility goes up hopefully the affordability um, you know becomes something that, people can maybe digest a little bit more, but like Rochelle said, we are definitely willing to work with people. So uh, I would not ever want anybody to not seek help because they're worried about the dollar signs. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We will work with you if, if you need that help.
0: Well, and I, I, the stigma thing, I've read a lot about that. And I found a website <clears throat> about ending the stigma in rural communities. So I'm gonna read you a little paragraph and you guys pretty well touched on everything, but it's that stigma's big. Uh, the stigma associated with mental health conditions is a major barrier to seeking help for many individuals in rural communities. Although mental health is important to overall health, some people don't recognize mental health conditions as valid health issues. This type of thinking is often more common in rural communities where a mental health condition can be seen as personal weakness or a character flaw, which which adds shame to the struggles of someone already dealing with mental health condition. Understanding that mental health conditions are valid health issues, just like cancer or diabetes is one step towards eliminating the sti- stigma in rural communities. In addition, talking openly with others about lived experience with mental health conditions, as well as providing support to those who are struggling are essential to bringing down the mental health stigma. And they have a campaign where you can buy t-shirts, coffee cups, That their slogan is silence the shame. And I thought that was absolutely amazing. Um, So, yeah, talk a little bit about how we can silence the shame and and convince people that it's like myself. I've gone through anxiety, depression. Many people have that, you know, but they're not going to tell you because they, they see it as a sign of weakness. I did, too, for a long time. It's okay to talk about it.
3: What's what shape, Let me ask. Can I ask you a question, Jason? What what changed it for you?
0: Well, I think a lot of it was trying to figure out why I was feeling that way. What what's wrong with me? Okay, some I knew something was wrong, but I would you know I'd just be doing something, and all of a sudden I would think, "Holy cow, the world's fallen. I'm I'm going down." Um, you helped me a ton visiting with you, Jared. Um, it's just, I think when you finally hear about, and, and maybe that's part of it. Some people don't even know about anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And until you read some things and go, Oh my, that might be me. I, I've felt yeah. those things before, mm-hmm. but you have to admit to yourself that you want help and that there is a problem. Mm-hmm. And until you do that, you, you can't, you can't get through those thoughts that you're having. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's, Yeah, you have to just go, I don't care if I look weak, I want to feel better.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think that's like the most important thing is people understand depression and anxiety looks different for different people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes helping people understand what are those signs of depression or anxiety? What does it really look like? I mean, we all worry about things, but when it becomes where it's kind of taking over or affecting our ability to do the things and enjoy life the way we want to enjoy it, then we have to seek that help. And I think one of the things that I think is important is getting out there, like, what is depression? Like, what does that look like for somebody? And a lot of times it's things like where you begin to sort of isolate your things, or you're not enjoying the things that you love to do before, that you stop going out, doing the things that were important to you, not enjoying the time with friends or family that you used to love, um, just wanting to stay in bed and sleep all the time. Or um, anxiety can look like, I explain it as either, and some people have both, above the neck anxiety or below the neck anxiety. Mm -hmm. And above the neck anxiety is that You get those ruminating thoughts in your head all the time, and you're just worried about it. And it's just swirling around in your head, and you can't get rid of those. Or you have that below-the-neck anxiety where you get heart palpitations. You feel like your heart's racing. I can't breathe. I feel like I'm suffocating. I feel nauseated. I can't eat. My stomach hurts. And some people can have both. Um, And so those are things that I think are important for people to recognize and understand what are the signs? What is it that I'm looking for in depression and anxiety?
0: Yeah. And be, I mean, it's, and some of the things I had found was the heart palpitations are, then mm-hmm. you think, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, and anxiety can cause pain. And, mm-hmm. and people think, well, I have pain. That's not from, yeah, anxiety definitely can cause body aches and pain. And yeah, again, you just have to decide, okay, there's, there is something wrong. Maybe I need to visit with somebody. And that's not admitting weakness. And in my opinion, that's admitting that you're a pretty strong person to be able to talk about your feelings and go to somebody for help.
2: Absolutely. And I think a lot of times, so we, um, not to get like real techie, but like we get this in our mind where we, you know, I can handle this, I can deal with this. And we sort of just push it back and we keep shoving mm-hmm. it back in. And I sort of explain it as we start building this wall in front of our a little emotion center in our brain that holds all of our emotions. And we continue to build and build this wall. And then it makes it hard. We almost have a disconnect in our pathways mm-hmm the front of our brain to tell us like how to think, how to feel, how to respond to things because we've pushed all that back for so long which is why sometimes i think we see more and more um, suicides too because we're not dealing with those feelings sometimes we keep pushing it back and they get to that point where it's they they don't feel like they have any other option And we Mm -hmm. want to help them recognize that there is help. We want to help them before they feel like there's nothing else they can do. So, I mean, I guess that's one way I sort of explain, like, how we block Mm -hmm. that motion center.
0: Well, and an interesting uh, facts that I found, for every suicide that actually happens, there's 316 people that have seriously thought about suicide but didn't follow through. Mm-hmm. So That's 9.48 million people a year committing or considering committing suicide. Mm-hmm. You're not alone, guys. You're not alone. Remember that there are people there to help you. We don't have to be at 9.48 million. Mm-hmm. People like Jared and Rochelle are are here They're They see the need, especially in rural communities. Mm-hmm. And and another thing. Sixty-five percent of rural communities don't have a psychiatrist. Eighty-one percent of rural counties don't have access to a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So we're extremely lucky to have Rochelle and Jared both. Jared's not a nurse practitioner, but but he will help. And thirty-seven percent of the population in the entire U.S. live in a mental health shortage area. So that adds to what you guys were talking about, but we have, we have resources right here in Sterling, Colorado with you two. And, well, and just don't be, I, I just can't stress it enough. It's not a weakness to admit you need help. It's not.
3: It's not. And, and I think what Rochelle and I have found in just working with people over the years, um, you know, she's, um, she's offered care uh, on the primary care site and the behavioral health for a lot of years. I've done, uh, you know, my work for almost 15 years, for medication absolutely has its place. And that might be some of the intervention that some people need. There's a lot of cases that people are nervous about that. <clears throat> Excuse me, a lot of time, it might be that medication's not the needed intervention, but they just finding that trusted uh, person to talk to. And, and I think we actually probably need to give kudos to the younger generation. So like our, like our kids, that generation i think they are way more in touch with mental health i mean we're seeing younger people saying hey i'm kind of struggling i need somebody to talk to they seem to be way more open and i'm not I'm not putting down <laughs> our generation or the generation above but i i think as the generations are, are going on we are becoming more aware of the need for these kind of resources and help it's i think a lot of the the lifting though needs to be done with people that are kind of like you know 40 years 40 years and up i would say is probably some of the, the biggest need because we're probably the ones that aren't doing the best job about talking through how we feel right yeah exactly um
0: and i found a i don't know if you guys can see this and i know listeners can't but i thought that i'm just going to try to Yep. so it says change the narrative imperfect imperfect i'm perfect you are unique no need for perfect. Mm-hmm. And that is dead on. We don't have to try to be perfect. We don't have to be big, tough people that have no problems. We don't have to be perfect.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, that's why if you want to get, um, you know, kind of the faith-based side, which I know for Rochelle and I, that, that for each of us, that plays a big part in our, our personal lives. But I mean, God created people to be helpers and he gifted people to be healers for a reason. I mean, they're there are people that have the ability to listen or the willingness or the passion to help because that's, that's kind of just their giftedness. So I I don't think we should shy away from seeking out those people as a society because it's, it's really kind of their role. We are, we're here to, to help.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I just did some searching throughout the week on the internet, just Mm -hmm. mental health, this, that There is a ton of resources out there. And I, I know a lot of internet stuff is, is not true. (laughs) So you have to sort through and, but it's more about looking kind of for what, what plays to you, what are you feeling and what you read about and go, okay, that might be me. Whether it's true or not, that's how I'm feeling. Maybe I need to look into this or talk to somebody about what I just read that might be fitting how I'm feeling. Mm
2: -hmm. Exactly. And that's, that is so true, Jason, like going out finding out information seeing that and recognizing hmm this is this is how i'm feeling but what do i do with those feelings and what do i do with this and and that's where i want people to feel like they can you know reach out and i know a lot of times people get a little nervous thinking oh i'm going to go see a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner she's just going to put me on all these meds and 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 i'm not going to feel anything and i think that's where that fear comes in of i don't want to be on medication or i don't i i don't want to be a zombie which is what i've heard a lot when people come in and that is not my philosophy my philosophy is that i want to provide you with tools mm-hmm. and in your toolbox medication might be one of those tools but maybe it's not one of those tools um, but strategies to help you with that, and if a medication is a tool for you, then I don't ever want people to start a medication and it make them not feel at all. That should never be what a medication does. Is put them at a place where, oh, I just don't really care about anything. I'm not feeling anything. I want you to have feelings when things are happy, you should be happy when things are sad, you should still feel sad, but it should put you at a place where it's like, oh, I feel more like myself. I am able to then utilize those coping strategies that you've provided because I'm at a better place and able to do that because some people come in and they're not at a place to be able to tell themselves themselves to, you know, use those coping strategies because they are so depressed or so anxious. And so that's, I guess, my philosophy when it comes to that. I don't ever want people to think that I just throw medication at you. That's that's not my philosophy. I look at each individual person and figure out what is going to be best for you. That's
0: that's great. And I I do. uh, Jared and I talked about this before we came on. On our first episode, when we mentioned that we were going to do a, a mental health thing, mm-hmm. I said, I hate medication. Mm-hmm. And, and I, we, we did get an email and it was a great email and I greatly appreciate it saying, be careful with your words um, because you don't want somebody going off medication. And that was not at all what I was saying. I was saying for me personally, I didn't like how it made me feel. If you are on medication, do not stop that Is not what I was saying. I just didn't like how I felt on it. I felt like a zombie. Like you Mm -hmm. said, Rochelle, I didn't, I couldn't think clear. I didn't. So I've gone to more mind stuff and breathing and that kind of stuff. And it's helped me a ton. Mm -hmm. I, 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 in no way meant for Mm -hmm. anybody to take that. Oh, I, he doesn't like it. I'm getting off. That's not, you stay with what works for you. (laughs) That didn't work for me. Mine was, I kind of figured my brain out and went, okay, I can, I can work through this. Mm -hmm. And then I got to talk with Jared and, and, but that's, that's not what I was saying at all. I was not, I'm not a medical doctor. I am not prescribing, (laughs) (laughs) prescribing, I stayed at a holiday in last night.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) Well, and and for Rochelle and I, I think it's fair to say that we, we try to work with people uh, maybe the best way to say it is kind of a strengths-based approach. So, like what are what is in your life that is positive? And some people don't feel like there's anything. And I understand that. So if people, if you're listening and that's you, like please don't tune it out. But usually we can find something that we can help people build on, some some core strength. And maybe it's it's work ethic or it's friends or family relationships, or for some people it might be faith. And I think that's an approach that Rochelle and I probably prefer. And I'm so correct me if I'm speaking no. uh, out of turn for you, Rochelle. But I think we find the most, and I don't think I know, we find the most success helping people when we can. Let's build on what you're already doing well, or mm-hmm. what's what's in your life that's positive, and that might be helping people understand personalities and personality and dynamics of. Of interpersonal relationships maybe with a spouse or with a family and maybe maybe we can give them some tools in that toolbox and maybe those relationships become a little bit more supportive um, you know by by learning how to phrase or talk through how we're feeling and you know those are just a few examples but that's that's the approach um, that I, I i know works best for people it's not come in like we've talked about and just you know have rochelle put you on a medication become a zombie that's not that's not helpful. Medication might be a part of it, but that's, we're not, we're not helping people heal and find restoration if, if we're not, if we're not kind of assessing them as a whole person.
2: Exactly. And I think that's what's so important is looking at the whole picture. And, um, you know, Jared is exactly right. We, we want to build on those strengths. I think we live in a world where we hear lots of negative and people are fed lots of negative, um, not, we're not good probably at building people up as much as we should be. And so I think that then it's hard, especially when you get into that place of feeling so depressed or so anxious, and it's hard to tell yourself those good things and hard to see What are my strengths? And so that's what we try to help you see is that we all have strengths, you know, and sometimes they're hard to see, but we will help you and we want to help you build on those strengths to help you get better in focusing on all of those positive strategies and getting rid of. And one of my strategies that I really tell people to try to do every day is we have to exercise our brain just like we exercise our body. We have to rehab our brain just like we rehab after a knee surgery. If we don't do our knee exercises or go to physical therapy, then our knee is never gonna heal and it's never gonna be the same. It's the same thing with our brain. We have to be intentional about doing something good for our brain every day. Whether that's, I call it brain dumping, and it's really getting rid of those negative things that we are not in control of. Those things that cause that increased anxiety, that increase in depression, getting it out, writing it on a piece of paper and then shredding it or throwing it in the trash. But then having what I call a blessings journal, a joyful journal and writing those good things down, whether it's a scripture that you focus on, whether it's a quote, a fun memory, something that feeds our brain good. Because when we are feeding our brain with good things, we feel better and therefore we react better.
0: Well, and I mean, think back to when we were little and I've done this to my kids, toughen up,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: toughen up, get tougher. So we're like Jared said, our age, we were trained. You don't Mm -hmm. complain. Don't come to me unless you're squirting blood everywhere. You're fine. Toughen up. Right. I mean, that's what we were. Mm -hmm. And so. I think the rural rural health, mental health deal that here's another another little paragraph that says fear of negative judgment by family friends and community members for appearing weak or unable to deal with life's up and downs is just one of many challenges that keep people from seeking help in rural areas as members of small close-knit communities many rural individuals are also often concerned about lack of privacy about their mental health. We know it. We know everybody. I mean, in small towns, you pretty much. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I'm scared to go walk into this mental health clinic. What if somebody sees me?
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Part of the stigma that we've got to we've Mm -hmm. got to get past that to get people the help they need.
2: Exactly. And that is what my goal is always to make people feel like, yes, we live in a small town and that is always a fear um, of, oh, what are are they going to tell somebody else? That is not. I mean, what you tell Jared and I is private, is a safe place for you. And that is what I always want people to understand is that. The environment, when you come in to, to see one of us, it it is a safe place. What you tell us stays in that place. And we want you to feel comfortable with that. And I think part of the, um, I think one of the things that I see with farmers and ranchers too is, you know, they have always had to persevere through so many challenges. They're always taking that Risk they're always, it's you know, there's so many challenges that they face year to year, even month by month, and sometimes that unknown. And they've you know persevered through so many things that I think at some point they're just like, Well, I've persevered, I've gone through this adversity, you know, I can do this. Why can't you know, I should be able Mm -hmm. to overcome this? And I think that's part of where that stigma comes into, it's just, you know, I've overcome all these other things, I should be able to overcome this. And, but sometimes it's all the trials build up over time, which then compounds and makes it and makes it more difficult, where sometimes you just need to get rid of all those things that you're thinking about in your head, and um, seek that help. And, you know, again, my biggest thing is I don't want people to feel alone. I don't Mm -hmm. want people to think that their feelings are not real or be ashamed of those feelings. I just want you to know that there are people that want to help you and that they're there for you and also that we're there for each other. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. Well, and it's, I mean, they don't, we don't have a problem if the cows get out, we will call a neighbor for help. Uh, If we get stuck in the snow, we call a neighbor for help. It doesn't matter how big the problem is. One's not bigger than the other. If you can ask for help for those things, ask for help with your mind. It's okay.
3: I think that's where the stigma is, though. It's almost everybody understands what it's like to have a fence down and cows out. but A lot of people don't feel like my neighbor understands that my mental cows are out.
0: Right. Mm -hmm.
3: I mean, truly resilience is the ability to bounce back. I mean, that's kind of how we define it. Farmers and ranchers, people in rural America are some of the most resilient people you'll ever find. I mean, you don't put put seeds in the ground every year and pray to God that it rains and make your living off that if you're not resilient. You don't weather the ups and downs of these, the livestock markets and commodity prices if you're not resilient. if you're not resilient but the truth is everybody gets sometimes or a lot of people get to a place where i just i'm tired of being resilient and i just don't feel like i can do it anymore it's like a backpack with rocks sometimes we just have too many rocks in that in that backpack and we just don't feel like we can go anymore and that's what rochelle and i are here to do let's help you unload a few of those rocks we're not we're not going to take away your backpack Doesn't mean you're never gonna have any more rocks in that backpack, but if you find somebody to help offload some of that weight, then you're able to be resilient again or to continue to be resilient. But that's what I've found over the years is a lot of people just they kind of feel stuck. I just they just almost lose the energy or the capacity to, to keep bouncing back. Mm-hmm. Do you think that we kind of downplay
0: how understanding other people may be? I mean, we as people, when something bad happens or we do something stupid, we we exaggerate in our mind what other people are going to think about that. Mm-hmm. We make it worse
2: mm-hmm. than
0: what other people mm-hmm. are probably thinking. Mm-hmm. So in my, I, I, and I don't know this. I mean, I know if you come to me and tell me you're having some mental health, I'll listen for mm-hmm. 24 hours a day. Do we kind of downplay that maybe our neighbors and our friends would be the same? we just in our mind have said, it's embarrassing. They're not going to understand what I'm talking about when in reality, probably a majority of them are going through the same type of things. So do we downplay that they are more understanding than what we think just because of what our mind is doing?
2: Absolutely. I think that is a very good point. I think that we're just so afraid to say something um, mm-hmm. and I do. I think that people would understand more than we really even think they would. And right. I think that is, and again, just by doing these and having these conversations, doing these podcasts, that helps people, I guess, be like, oh, okay, there are people out there that I can go to and I can talk to people about this. And I think the more we get that out, then I think that will help and make us understand Mm -hmm. realize that I do have support. I do have that support. And um, I think that's really important, but I do, I agree with you, Jason. I think that's we probably are a little more fearful that they're not going to understand when really they probably do understand because when we look at mental health, you know, like one in three people, suffer from some sort of mental mm-hmm. health illness, whether that's depression, anxiety, whatever it might, bipolar, whatever it might be. So that's huge. And mm-hmm. so we're all struggling.
3: And I think there's guilt when mm-hmm. somebody asks you how you are. Um, a lot of people feel guilty about elaborating and we probably, we've probably all done that. I've done that. People mm-hmm. say, how are you? And you say, yeah, I'm fine.
2: Mm-hmm
3: and we live in such a busy and chaotic world sometimes that we have to be intentional about slowing down if somebody asks how we are if we're not doing okay you know kind of finding finding the courage or you know in that moment um if they're asking maybe it's and it's somebody we trust maybe they are asking because they really want to know and us not feeling guilty about telling them how we're feeling and if we start to develop those kind of conversation pathways and maybe that gets reciprocated then maybe when that person is struggling they might reach out to us that's a lot of times when when somebody asks don't be afraid to answer
0: well and i think we need to be better when we do ask about understanding Mm -hmm. and seeing where they're coming from so talk to us a little bit about what we can look for because we've got to be better all of us at helping all of us. So talk to us a little bit about what I should look for when when I do say, are you doing okay? Or if you can notice some things before you even ask. So just talk about what we kind of look for to be able to help others.
2: Yeah. And that's good. When Jared said that, when somebody asks you, you know, how are you? And you're kind of like, oh, I'm okay. And it's a lot of times, what is their tone of voice? Mm-hmm. Is it this you know, kind of reserved, softer tone, hesitancy in, in their response to you or delayed response, what is their body language? You know, are they sort of hunched over, you know, what are their facial expressions? You know, maybe not smiling as much. Maybe you notice that this person just doesn't have a smile on their face like they used to have, or their body language is maybe a little bit slower, more sluggish. I mean, I guess those are kind of those, those signs. And when somebody comes back with that, "Eh, I'm okay. You know that, Hey, it doesn't sound like really are okay. I really want to know like, Mm -hmm. what's going on? Would you like to talk? You know, and some people, when you open that up, they're like, Oh, they really do care because a lot of times we get in, just like Jared said, the busyness of walking by somebody and just saying, Hey, how are you? And, do we you know, do we really mean it? How are you? Or are we just saying that because that's what we say to people? But really paying attention to that body language, that tone of voice, and then stopping and saying, Hey, I'm I'm not too busy for this. We need to we need to talk if you want to talk.
0: Well, and I I had uh I had an MRI on my elbow in Brighton and I was sitting in the waiting room. And about four seats down was another lady. And then another lady walked in, checked in. And as she's walking, starts talking to this lady, telling her all about how she'd lost her husband to cancer. And now her sons are gone. They're far away. She just was belting out. And the other lady didn't know her, but she engaged her. And right when I got up, they called me to go back. The lady that was telling her life story Said to the other lady, I appreciate you listening. I don't have mm. anybody that will listen. Mm. And I was so proud of that other lady because she, she did not know her and she engaged with her. She asked her questions. She she kept reassuring her. But so you can tell. I mean, that one you didn't have to ask. How how are you? She just told everybody what was going on, which I thought was amazing because she's in a in a waiting room in an MRI place with other people that she has no clue and she just didn't mind talking about so i think we need to get there i mean i'm not saying go walk into your doctor's office and tell everybody your problems but don't be afraid to talk to people that you know
3: Mm -hmm. well and back to your question jason about how do we know with people i think the people that we're in relationships with friends family is we get to know these people so if you're wondering like if somebody's struggling some of it is just taking time to notice their patterns of behavior, has, has that changed? Is this somebody that, you know, maybe you have a drink with socially, but all of a sudden, every time you're with this person now, they seem to be, they seem to always be drinking. Is okay? One those, one of those red flags, like, okay, maybe there's some not good coping going on or um, something of that nature. You know, that's a question or somebody that, you know, used to enjoy going out and, and now they're just, they've kind of isolated themselves and there's, there's this kind of this closed off uh, to relationships or, you know, people that are sleeping or not sleeping. You know, you ask them, how'd you sleep last night? I didn't sleep worth a darn. I'm going on two weeks and I I can't sleep at three hours a night. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an indication their brain's probably racing. And it's, we know the patterns of behavior for the people that we have relationships with family, friends. And if, if we notice those things, just not being afraid, like we've talked about to say, how are you, you Mm -hmm. seem like you're kind of struggling with something here. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to be the <laughs> the drink police or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not I'm not advocating for that, but it's just it's kind of checking on the people we care about when we notice that those patterns of behavior have changed. Absolutely.
0: And Rachel, she came up with a great saying: yes. "Check your cows, check your fields, and check your neighbors." <laughs> yes. I just love that. You know, we focus so much on mm-hmm. our livelihood, our cows, our fields or sale barn in my position, do we check our neighbors like we should?
3: Well, text messaging is great. I mean, it's not the preferred. I still think face-to-face or, Mm -hmm. you know, phone calls, FaceTime, but that's an easy way now for people. It's like, are we, are we at least touching base with folks that we care about often Mm -hmm. enough? I mean, it's, if you're in an area and you've got two or three or four rancher farmer, uh, colleagues, friends that you're close to, you know, why not shoot them a text once a week? I mean, start start establishing some of that communication. If you only see it once a week, why not touching and base and checking in with each other? Start there. I mean, that's better than nothing. Just kind of these pathways and avenues of communication. Um, Technology has got a lot of pitfalls, but that's one of those that's like maybe we can use it to our advantage more out here. Um, being able to even FaceTime with folks, just get them on camera, start those conversations somewhere. Well, and some people may be more comfortable letting
0: their problems be known by text message. But like you said, Jared, at least establish that communication. And maybe eventually that leads to them going, okay, I can you come over and talk? I need I need to run this by you. But at least they know, okay, I mean, I get texts from Jared all the time. Hey, pal, how you doing? Uh, Camille and I and Rita and Jared are all in a, a group one and we're always texting back and forth and, so it's just, you know, when I see that text, I smile and I go, I know I have friends here. If I ever need anything, I can reach out. And maybe that implements a thought in somebody's head that, well, Jared's thinking of me this week. Maybe, maybe I can run this by him. You know, that's a, that's a great tool. I'm not a, I'm not into the texting as much either. I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather do this. I'd rather see him, but that's a great, great way to get to somebody.
3: Something is better than nothing if we're starting about talking. And, you know, if somebody's busy, like there's times Rochelle and I will text and it's so busy, it might be a day or two before we're able to get back. But we know that's the pattern. Now, all of a sudden, if Rochelle and I didn't hear from each other in a week and a text, then it might be like, okay, something might be up because like mm-hmm. one or the other never got back. So mm-hmm. you kind of learn those patterns with people also.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think keeping those, um, any avenue of communication, whether that's text, phone call, whatever it might be, FaceTime, whatever it might be. I think that is so important and just letting people know that you're there. Mm -hmm.
0: So just a real quick, real quick statement. I want each of you to tell me in your opinion, what is mental health? Go
3: ahead, Rochelle, that's
0: a big question.
2: That is a big that is a big uh, question and, and I know so-
0: it's a broad question. Yeah. but just so- yeah, your thoughts, what is mental health?
2: Mm-hmm. So when we look at I guess <laughs> oh, that's like a, a hard one. I guess what comes? Put
0: you on the spot.
2: It, I know you did put me on the spot. No. but I also not only think of mental health, but we also think of it as mental wellness. And what is it that we need to do to treat our brain just like we do the rest of our body? Our brain truly is probably one of the most important organs in our body. You know, if our brain wasn't working correctly, we wouldn't breathe, our heart wouldn't beat. We just, it, it communicates so much to the rest of our body. And so when I think of mental health, I think of it as we need to look at it as a whole, you know, not only is it the mental emotional part, but it also connects to the physical part of our body as well. And so looking at it as my philosophy as a whole, we want to treat everything. We want to treat not only, you know, the brain, but the whole body and the needs of the whole person. So very good. Very good. I love
3: it. Yeah. I can't really you' gonna
0: you gotta get a pass here because you got to think about it and listen to Rich right no, um,
3: no I, I don't really have much to add. I totally I agree with 100 percent of everything Rochelle said and that was going to be my answer is we are whole human beings I mean that's how that's how we were created um, God has gifted us with emotions to help us interpret the world and that's that's part of as part of who we are mm-hmm. and uh, our physical mental emotional spiritual health it's it's all yeah it's all part of the whole and we care about people as as whole human beings so taking care of your mental health helps you uh, be as whole and as complete of a human being as you possibly can be and and there are people uh, rochelle and i included that uh, feel called to help people with that
0: and we're very thankful that we have you too here in northeast colorado uh, Jared, Rochelle, thank you so much for being on here. Um, we're going to try to do this once a month when we can, uh, work it into you guys' schedule. I know Rochelle's got to get going to see clients, but again, we can't thank you guys enough for being on here. And this is a huge need here in rural Colorado and ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, don't be afraid to reach out. There is no shame, silence the shame, as we said earlier in the show and check your cows, check your fields and check your neighbors. Till next time, Rochelle and Jared, thank you very much.
2: Thank
3: you. Thank you.